Greetings, adventure. Welcome to D20 Academy. I'm your host, Shell Kaneshiro, and today is episode 7, Reviewing Races, part 2. Alright, I'm so excited about today, um, because today we are talking about the last five races in the Player's Handbook. I'm kind of talking about um, their strengths, their weaknesses, maybe what playing one would be like. Um, if you missed yesterday's episode, uh, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. That's where I detail the uh, four most common races um, that are found in the Player's Handbook um, and kind of talk about them as well. But today, it's going to be all about the uh, more rarer, um, cool races. So these races um, are much rarer to find in, in the world. Um, once again, like I talked about yesterday, it depends on the campaign setting, um, which races are more frequent, or maybe if, you know, even races even exist in that world. And so, some of the things I talk about today are not going to totally be concrete um, rules or um, descriptions of things, because races have different dynamics and different things depending on what campaign setting you're playing in. But this is kind of how it is laid out in the Player's Handbook. And also kind of from the things I've played. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, yeah, but these races are much more unique. Um, and playing them is, is going to be a little different than playing the other four races I detailed yesterday. Yesterday I talked about dwarves, elves, halflings, and humans. And they are considered to be the most common races. They're most commonly portrayed. Um, they're mostly portrayed in... Um, pop culture fantasy things, like books or video games, uh, you'll find them the most in those. And so you have a lot of stereotypes and cliches to pull from. You have a lot of examples to look at when you're playing a race like that. But if we instead, you know, look at these last five races, um, some of them are exclusive only to D&D. They don't appear anywhere else in any other uh, pop culture fantasy things or appear much rarer um, in books and video games, movies, things like that. So building a character off of them is a little harder um, because they don't have as much of a defined cliche, just, you know, physical physicality or personality or culture and things like that. So this can make them um, maybe a little harder to play if you're a new player, um, but also could be really fun and really unique uh, to play them. They are really cool. Um, a lot of what entices new players about them is that uh, you know, they've never seen them before in anything. And, you know, that, that that's something really cool. It's something that isn't, like, seen before a lot, um, you know, in anything that they've read or seen. So they like to play, uh, you know, a lot of people like to play some of these other races because they're really cool and really unique. And, yeah, I think both these rare races and the common races I talked about yesterday all have their strengths and weaknesses and um, can be really fun to play. Um, any, 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 any race, really. So, let's just jump right into it. We're going to be starting with Dragonborn. Alright, so Dragonborn. Um, you have probably heard this uh, in one of two ways. Either you are a little familiar with D&D, and so you know what a Dragonborn is, or you know about Skyrim, and you've heard about a Dragonborn from there. Uh, Dragonborn are not the kind of Dragonborn from Skyrim. Um, Dragonborn are a really, really cool race. Um, a lot of people, a lot of new players are really interested in them. They look really cool. They're humanoids um, with draconic features. So they, they're scaled. They have claws. Um, they have snouts. And 
you know, all those kind of draconic qualities. They do not have tails or wings, um, but sometimes they can have horns or, uh, you know, draconic things like that. And they are detailed or explained in the player's handbook to have come maybe from dragons themselves, like dragon eggs or some kind of mutation back uh, long ago in time. And depending on the campaign setting, dragonborns may have come from, you know, a multitude of different ways. But they are a, a quite a rare race um, and are definitely seen with caution by most other people in the world um, because they're uncommon and because, you know, they're very menacing and they resemble dragons. Um, a lot of the time they are, they are met with caution and some mistrust a lot of the time in the world. Um, but, you know, d they don't have to necessarily be evil or dark. Many of them can be definitely devout and good. Um, I'm probably going to get into this later, uh, later on in episodes, but dragons in D&D are split into two things, metallic and chromatic. Metallic dragons are th dragons like gold, silver, bronze, brass, uh, things like that, and they're good dragons. They are benevolent and upright, and they try to do good things in the world. Chromatic dragons are dragons with scale colors of, like, white, black, green, blue, red, and those dragons are evil and selfish, and that's kind of the typical dragon in fantasy. Um, like Smaug from The Hobbit, the dragon who took over the Lonely Mountain, um, he's like a classic red dragon. Um, so dragonborn also have a, a, a scale color, whether it be metallic and chromatic, and that can also kind of dictate how they are taken in by society. If they have metallic colors, which uh, mirror their heritage from a metallic dragon, they may be looked on much more kinder uh, with, with you know, lots of more trust because metallic dragons are good and, and you know, lawful. But if the dragonborn has scale colors that are chromatic, they may be seen as much more, um, you know, prone to being evil or a villain. And so the society might, you know, not trust them as much. Um, once again, Dragonborn kind of have to carve their own way in the world. Um, because they're quite uncommon, they don't typically find a lot of other Dragonborns. Um, they do form some clans, uh, depending on where they come from. Um, but a lot of the time they can, you know, be in, be in solitude because they're so uncommon or because society doesn't super accept them a lot. Um, Dragonborn do not live very long. They live to be about 80 years old. Uh, and so because of that, they kind of take their time to perfect one skill. Um, in Dragonborn culture and kind of their clans and stuff that they, they create sometimes, um, they dedicate their life to perfection um, and perfecting everything about them. Um, they don't like making mistakes um, and they're like always just striving for perfection and and uh, more prominently like one particular skill that they master um, because they live such a, a short time whereas elves who live like 800 years they can go about and learn so many different skills and master all of them uh, dragonborn live so much shorter so they can only spend their time perfecting uh, mastering one skill but even beyond that they don't like they don't like mistakes and they don't like failure so they are trying to just kind of perfect themselves in, in, in any way they can. Um, they are quite large, 
Um, they're very strong and uh, stocky, like dragons, very muscular, uh, and of course covered in scales. And yeah, that, that, that's kind of all there is to Dragonborn. Um, once again, these races are not super detailed in the player's handbook and are not portrayed a lot in, in pop culture. So it can be a little hard to find their personality or kind of the way they would act and things. But that's really cool because then you can, all, that can also you know, leave it up to the player um, you know, however they want to play this character. But Dragonborns are something that ex- I believe exclusively come from uh, Dungeons & Dragons. They were invented uh, in Dungeons and & Dragons and don't appear anywhere else in any sort of pop culture. But that's uh, Dragonborn, really cool race. Uh, and now we're going to go on to another one of my favorites, Gnome. Alright, Gnome is one of my favorite, favorite races. Um, I really like them. Um, they are a little similar to Halflings, and they can kind of get confused with Halflings a lot. Um, because they're a very small race. Um, but let me explain, you know, how they're quite different and the really cool things about gnomes that I love about them. So, physically, they are, of course, very small. Um, they stand about half a foot taller than halflings, typically. Um, so about, like, four feet tall, maybe a little over that. And, you know, they weigh, you know, kind of that amount, a little more than a halfling again. Um, but gnomes have very exaggerated features. So whether it be a really big nose or a massive beard or really big hands, um, really big feet, um, maybe super tiny eyes or very large eyes. Gnomes are kind of that classic um, small fantasy uh, trope, small character in, a fan- you know, in any fantasy thing with, you know, large magnifying glasses and crazy hair and a curling beard and, um, you know, pointy shoes, big pointy shoes and all those kinds of things. Uh, gnomes are really cool. Um, their personality is very uh, exaggerated like themselves. Um, they're super curious and they love just learning everything they can about the world. They're always happy. They find happiness in everything. Um, they just love making mistakes and experimenting and learning and tinkering. And, um, because of that, they can, they're, they're very much liked by most other races. Um, whereas halflings are, you know, very content, uh, just being around friends and things like that and staying put, um, and are very kind and like that. Gnomes are kind of that similar personality, but, you know, times ten. They, they, they love social, um, you know, gatherings to an extreme, they get high off of discovery and curiosity, and they love going out and adventuring and finding things and learning things and getting scrapes and getting cuts, and they, it can make them a really fun race to play because, you know, they are so, you know, curious and, and they love everything about the world, and everything's always shocking and surprising them, and so I think uh, it's akin to kind of like, you know, a child. Um, and the way that they are discovering the world and playing games all the time and just always just having joy just from little things like games and music. And that is kind of the epitome of the gnome. They are much rarer, um, however, than like halflings, humans and such. Um, and so they kind of live uh, 
either in like small, like secluded locations, like misty groves or like in burrows, um, where they can just kind of live with their family or their little clan and gathering, um, or they are found in civilization as artisans, tinkerers, shoemakers, gem cutters, sages, all that kind of thing. They are very intelligent. They are very bright, very smart, uh, and they they are often the inventors of, of very magnificent things um, or philosophers because they not only are super intelligent um, and, you know, have really good memorization and, you know, really good intellect, they keep trying and they keep going and they keep experimenting until they succeed on what they're trying to accomplish. So that can make them uh, really helpful companions on not only on adventures but also helpful people in civilization. Um, they just love expressing themselves in any way they can. Um, and that can make them just a really cool race um, and a very lovable race. They're split into two sub-races, forest gnomes and rock gnomes. Um, forest gnomes are kind of tricky, sneaky kind of gnomes. Um, they love playing tricks on people, um, and they love that kind of cheerful, innocent fun. Um, like, they... The innate ability you get from being a forest gnome is being able to cast the minor illusion spell, which, you know, you can create a simple sound or image or smell. Um, and forest gnomes typically live in, like, forests, obviously, um, in woodlands. Sometimes they befriend elves and fairies. Rock gnomes typically live in, like, burrows um, or, you know, like, little, little towns, things like that. And rock gnomes are much more interested and tinkering and creating things. They like creating like clockwork, you know, animals or inventions, music boxes, things like that. Um, And so they're much more artificers, inventors in that regard. But yeah, that's kind of just the gnome. Um, They are really cool, uh, really fun. And uh, yeah, next up, I'm going to be talking about the half-elf. All right, so the half-elf... Um, from here and to the, this one and the next two races um, are a little bit interesting and a little bit different um, when it comes to um, kind of their culture and their, how, you know, social life interacts with them. Um, but you, I'll explain that when I come to them, but let's start with the half-elf. The half-elf means that they have one parent that is a human and one parent that is an elf. And... This can lead them to physically look, you know, very similar to a human um, with a couple elven features. Or, much like an elf, but maybe a little stockier, broader like a human. Um, Sometimes it is easy to to tell if someone is a half-elf or not. um, But sometimes they look much more human or much more elf. Um, But aside from the physical things, um, the personality can really be anything. Um, I'll get to the main bulk of all this stuff here in a second. But because they are like humans, um, depending on where they grow up, they may be like humans and just, you know, kind of have any kind of personality, um, depending on who their parents are and all that kind of thing, what kind of culture they grew up in. Um, but if they kind of grew up more like an elf, they'll, ha- they'll be much more like an elf, right? very much more wise and calm and collected, um, things like that. But the thing about half-elves is that they're not really accepted 
by really any society, per se. Elves don't really like half-elves because they are just, you know, connection to human. Humans live very, you know, very short in, com- in comparison to, to an elf. And so humans are seen as much less kind of, you know, not as intelligent and not as creative and maybe not as powerful just because they don't have as much time as an elf to perfect all these skills and to become really good at things. Um, and so a half-elf, because they live about 180 years, um, which is still about twice as much as a human, it's, you know, only about a third that of an elf. And so elves can kind of see half-elves as not really abominations, but, um, you know, a being that is has some sort of, like, pure blood in them, but also some a blemish of, of humans. Um, whereas humans can see half-elves, accept them a bit better. Um, once again, humans are a super varied race, as we know, we are humans. Um, but can also kind of see half-elves as a little more stuck up and a little more um, connected to their elven heritage than they are to humans. And that can make half-elves just not really fit in anywhere. If they grow up in a human society, they're going to watch their friends grow up and live a whole life and then die. And about two generations of that, while they're just, you know, staying youthful and, you know, they live much longer. So they can't really fit in with, with the human world because the humans just live shorter than them and just see, just, you know, experience the world differently because of that. And it's harder for them to make friends and keep friends and and family and things like that because they're so short-lived. But with elves, you know, they've grown up in an elven society and they've already reached adulthood while all their friends are still children. And so they can't really fit in there because the people who look like them, right, the people who look like they're adults, those elves, have already lived so many years and have so much experience and they can't really relate to that. And they can't really relate to children. And so they can't really fit in an elven society either. And this can lead them to be misfits, wanderers, um, not really fitting in anywhere. Um, because half-elves, though, do have some of the best of both worlds. Um, they are, you know, very wise and perceptive um, from elves. And they love learning and creativity. And from humans, they, you know, they go out and they get things done. And they like progress. Um, they can often be found as diplomats or politicians um, because they kind of understand much better um, all the different kinds of worlds, all the different kinds of nations, because they come from both human and elf. They can see where both races are coming from and that kind of thing and the dynamic between them, and they understand that much better than any other race. So they can be diplomats, they can be wanderers, um, but yeah, so the typical half-elf probably lives in seclusion just because they can't really seem to fit in anywhere. It's harder for them to make friends with any other, um, kind of race because just their, their age difference is just so vastly different from everyone else. But they can be, you know, be very good people and, you know, get a lot of stuff done and learn a lot and, you know, be very good ambassadors, um, and things like that. I really like the idea of playing a half-elf. Um, some people may not. But I like the idea of trying to, you know, find your place in the world. And trying to find your purpose. 
and you know building true friendships and stuff that that's a really cool meaningful story that you can create um when you have a half elf character and so i really like the idea of them i think they're a really cool race and uh it's about to get a lot more interesting as we next dive into the half orc so half orcs are similar to half elves in that they don't really belong anywhere they are half human and half orc um, and it's harder for them to fit into either kind of society. However, where the half-elf finds it hard to fit in because of age differences and the, you know, the rate that they grow, half-orcs, uh, their difference is much more societal and culture-based. Um, a half-orc looks similar to an orc. They are strong and tall and broad and burly, and they do have, you know, some tusks and pointy ears and coarse hair. Um, but an orc is much more to that as an extreme. They have, you know, much more chiseled features and large tusks and huge hands, wide legs. Um, and a half elf, a half orc, excuse me, is a little more like a human in that regard. They're a little, they're smaller than orcs. They have better posture. Uh, they're you know, fangs and snouts and ears are a little uh, less extreme than that of an actual orcs. And once again, depending on kind of where they grew up, um, they probably live different lives. Growing up in a human civilization, they can definitely be seen as, you know, like taken very cautiously. Um, and it'd be hard for them to be accepted uh, into society and treated as an equal just because orcs are known to be, you know, angry violent creatures who, you know, slaughter people and raid human cities. And if you resemble physically, uh, you know, someone who most people see as an enemy, a race that most people assume is an enemy, uh, you can be seen, uh, you know, as, like, you, you can be trusted less and, you know, be definitely taken with caution or fear. So that's kind of what's like growing up in a human civilization. But with orcs... It's kind of the opposite. Orc tribes um, are all about, um, you know, combat and proving yourself in battle and, you know, getting scarred and killing things and climbing to the top of the ranks. And half-orcs just sometimes do not have the same physical capabilities as other orcs to be able to do this. So they can kind of be seen as the runt or the weakling in, in the pack. Just because of their DNA, they can't compete with the other orcs when it comes to what they, you know, wish it was like, that the orcs required to, you know, to prove yourself. And so a half-orc, their kind of question in life and their goal is sort of to prove themselves in a society. So whether it's if they were kind of raised by orcs to prove their strength and to prove their might in battle. Or with humans, it's to prove that they are a civilized uh, person and that they, they can, you know, live a regular human life and that they can be kind and that they can have friends. And so uh, they are, you know, that's kind of their question of, you know, how do I prove myself? They rarely live up to even 75 years old. So they have a very short life. Um, so it, it's kind of... You know, sometimes they go out and live alone as hermits and things 
because they're just not accepted anywhere. A lot like half elves, um, they can, they can be feared in human civilizations, or they can be uh, looked down upon in orc civilizations, and um, also just because of their lineage, um, they're quite kind of emotional, passionate uh, people, and that can lead them, you know, to definitely be seen as like angry or intense in like human circles and things like that. Um, but really they're just trying to find a purpose and they're trying to find, um, you know, they're trying to prove themselves and, and get accepted in life. And I think that's one of the really cool way reasons that I would play a uh, half-orc. Other than the fact that their physicality um, provides them to be really good barbarians and fighters, if that's kind of the character I wanted to play. Um, you know, a melee fighter who kind of rushes into battle, takes hits, things like that. Um, just their personal journey on trying to um, prove themselves um, to anyone or, you know, to, to either side, orcs or humans, things like that. I think that's a really, really interesting dynamic and a really cool story that you can create um, if you're playing a half-orc. And I really, really like that idea and I really like that concept. So that's kind of a half-orc, um, really cool race, kind of similar to half-elf. And uh, this last race is also kind of similar to them as well. Uh, really interesting, really cool. That is the Tiefling. Okay, so the Tiefling is the final race I'm going to talk about today. Uh, and it is definitely one of the most interesting. I believe this, uh, aside from the Dragonborn, is, the, uh, is one of the only races that exclusively uh, came from D&D that was created um, from the game and didn't appear anywhere before then in pop culture. So, uh, the Tiefling, like the Dragonborn, it may be a little harder to pinpoint their personality or culture, how they act, and things like that, just because there's not really a stereotype or not really a cliche for them. But if you are unfamiliar with what the Tiefling is, um, they are a demonic um, human, essentially. Sort of like a half-orc or a half-elf, as like they're half-human and half-demon. But that's not necessarily how they were created. They are like their own race, like Dragonborn. They weren't just a product of breeding of two different races. Um, but they, you know, they have the physicality of a human, but they can have horns, a tail, um, you know, skin that can range from like purple to red to maroon, um, fangs, uh, like unique eye colors like red or orange. And so they can, you know, resemble a, a demon, some kind of demonic force. Um, and because of that, similar to kind of a half-orc, but much more intense, they are, you know, very taken aback in, in civilization. Um, society can definitely treat them with mistrust and fear. Um, you know, very, you know, everyone has, like, heard tales of, like, demons and destruction and devils, and a tiefling looks like that. And so they can be very... You know, they can be accepted in a sort of way where everyone is kind of scared of them or violent towards them or mistrusting of them. And that can make their place in society um, really different than really any other race and, and really hard. So because of that, most tieflings uh, live by themselves or uh, at least don't live with any other tieflings or any other people. Uh, they're, and they're very self-reliant and suspicious of the world. Because they are always, well, typically treated with mistrust, um, they 
that's kind of all they know. So they are naturally mistrustful of everyone else as well. Um, because they might have like threats from people because of you know their demonic origin or their demonic features. Um, they're just always kind of suspicious, always on edge of people. Um, they can definitely be really convincing, like politicians and diplomats and things like that. And some tieflings have, of course, been able to make their way as respectable people in society. Um, but tieflings are a really interesting race to play because they are, you know, connected to this demonic, dark, evil side. Though not, that's not necessarily what they are. And so it kind of comes down to a tiefling in their life. Um, not always, but sort of this choice of do I just go down this path that everyone thinks I will, that is connected to the origin of my birth, and, uh, you know, it's just the kind of the cliche. Do I just follow and just do I go give in to uh, this dark, evil side and this wicked side, this demonic, destructive side? Or... Do I try and be virtuous and try to fight back against these social norms and try to prove that I am a good person and that tieflings can be, um, a, you know, good people and a good place, you know, have a good place in society? And that kind of that kind of back and forth question is what makes playing a tiefling or could make playing a tiefling really interesting. I myself have never played a tiefling, um, but a lot of people have. Um, definitely, new players build a first character off of tiefling. Just because not only do they look really cool, um, you know, kind of this, this, their story and, and the, their, their journey of their heritage and how they're accepted by society can be a really interesting one to play out. Um, so that's kind of a tiefling, a really cool, really unique race, um, really interesting dynamic uh, that you can play around with if you're creating a tiefling. Okay, so that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I just, uh, for yesterday and today, just really wanted to look at the races in the player's handbook, kind of detail them a bit, um, kind of what kind of characters um, you might play if you create a character that is one of those races. Um, maybe you heard a race that you were kind of interested in. Uh, maybe you heard a race you're like, definitely never want to play that. That's totally fine, totally cool. That's what this is all about. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.